Hi, this is Shauna. Before we get to today's guest, I want to take a minute to learn more about you, the listener. We've put together a short survey at fueltalent.com slash podcast to gather information on who's listening and to give you a chance to make suggestions and comments about the show. I want What Fuels You to be a great resource for you and your interests, and I hope these interviews give you practical advice along with inspiration for your career and life. Help us continue to serve you better by going to fueltalent.com slash podcast. Thank you so much. Now let's start today's show. Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories, the years, and successes. Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Allison Arzino. Allison is the CEO of Assurance. Assurance helps people choose the best insurance products for themselves. And as CEO, Allison leads the company's strategy to scale and drive growth while staying true to its original mission of building a better insurance solution for the mass market. Allison joined Assurance in 2017 as the chief data scientist then became president in 2020 and CEO in 2021. She is passionate about using data science to help people address life's most important challenges and teaching others to find answers and data for themselves. It started with her work in operations research at MIT, where she earned her PhD studying how predictive modeling can help diabetes patients personalize care. She later applied this expertise as CEO of a health wearable startup focused on heart health and as a data science consultant at Sequoia Capital. Allison is the co-author of The Analytics Edge, a widely accredited business analytics textbook, as well as a former lecturer at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and MIT Sloan School of Management. In addition to receiving her PhD from MIT, Allison holds a bachelor's degree in mathematics from the University of California, Davis. Welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Um, Okay, I'm hitting you with some rapid fire. Um, This is a new one I've actually never asked on the podcast. Are you more spontaneous or do you prefer stability? Ooh, probably stability, but I challenge myself to be more spontaneous. And what's the best concert that you have ever attended? You know, That's a I'm tough a big, one, right? It is. Um, I'm a big country music fan, so I would probably say Toby Keith. Nice. And what? I'm assuming you have lots. What are your nicknames? Mostly just Allie. So my friends and family will will call me Allie. And do people at work call you Allie? No, they do not. You're Allison. Yes. When do people get to cross over to Allie? You know, it's very organic. I think uh, most people at work just don't know that I go by Allie. So yeah. um, I'm sure at some point they will discover that and it will get picked up. What are people most often surprised to learn about you? I would say people are often surprised that I, while I'm like very data-driven in a lot of ways, I love approaching problems through a, a creative kind of artistic viewpoint as well. Uh, which relates to to my data science uh, tilt. Yeah. And okay, so do you hate to lose or love to win? I am competitive. 
Um, it's a bit more of a subtle competitive nature, I would say. Um, but I, I love to win. Yeah. What is the best way for you to clear your head? You know, I, now that we're driving back into the office, I will use my commute time to do that. So on the way to the office, I'm very intentional about using that as like mental preparedness time. And on my way home from work, I will use that as reflection time. But I, I find that really useful. Yeah. It's funny because during the pandemic, right, it was like, there's no space between the two. So there was all those right. articles written, right, about just like everything blends together. So I can totally appreciate that. For sure. Yeah. So tell me, um, I know that you're, uh, you've only been in Seattle a couple of years, but how do you like it and where are you originally from? Yeah, I, I love Seattle. We've only been here for about two and a half years, um, originally from California. Uh, but I've lived in California, in Massachusetts, in Georgia, and now in Washington. Yeah. Um, and uh, have really enjoyed being in Seattle so far. Where in California? And I guess, how would you describe it? Yeah, I grew up in the Bay Area, uh, in the East Bay. I always say as far east as you can go and still call it the Bay Area. Um, so at the time, it was a bit more rural. Um, a, a lot of people started moving out there uh, and commuting into the Silicon Valley. Um, but I would say uh, the three words I would use to describe my childhood would probably be uh, comfortable, uh, happy, um, and equal. My family put a lot of uh, focus on, on equality in, in a lot of ways. Equality for like others in the community or equality within the family? Do you have siblings? I do. I have an older sister um, and my, my mother has this core virtue of fairness, I would say. Um, and so there was just in a lot of ways, really thinking through things being fair, equal, you know, us contributing to society and being involved in community service um, as a way to even the playing field. Yeah, I love that. And what kinds of things were you into? It sounds like some volunteer work and outside of school. How did you busy your time? So I was a dancer, uh, mostly ballet dance. So that was my sport. Um, I was part of a Masonic youth group. Uh, it's called Rainbow Girls, uh, but it's very focused on community service and in a big way is how I learned uh, public speaking. Uh, and I also uh, played piano. Nice. And tell me about school. Was that something that, um, I mean, I'm guessing you were good at school. I love that you studied math. It's, I mean, all of the lessons around STEM and getting more girls and women involved. Um, the fact that you studied math in college, very cool. Who told you or how did you realize you were good at math? You know, strangely, I was one of those, uh, one of those kids who always loved math. So, you know, if you looked at my kindergarten papers, I would say my favorite subject was math. And that just never changed. I loved the logical nature of math. I loved the idea that it had this core truth to it. Um, and it was just always something that I uh, was attracted to. Um, and the way that our high school was set up, um, you had semesters. 
so you chose different classes to take in in the fall and then in in the winter spring um, and so you could double up on subjects um, which gave me the ability to uh, lean away from English a little bit which was not my strong suit and and double down on math some families it's like very clear that education is a huge value in the home and that um, accomplishment and achievement is important was that self-driven or was that something coming from your parents so my parents definitely valued education um, and wanted me to do a good job but I would describe my parents philosophy as you know if you commit to do something and if you are capable of doing something then do it well um, but if you don't want to focus on that or you don't want to do it, that's okay too. Um, mm -hmm. So that that was very much their approach. And so because I liked math and I was good at math, they did hold me to a high standard when it came to mathematics. But I could get a you know B in in physical education or in English, and and that that was okay. Yeah, because math was your thing. And so um, I know you went on and went to Davis awesome school. One of my best friends went there and just loved it. How did you choose Davis and who was kind of guiding you through those decisions? Yeah. So I, um, you know, I don't remember exactly how I came to this conclusion, but my, uh, the conclusion I reached was that I wanted to go to a, a state school in California within kind of a three to four hour radius of home. Um, and so my big uh, contenders were Berkeley, uh, UC Davis, and then Cal Poly. Those were the three I um, was really pursuing. And I ended up being accepted to all three, and we went to visit those, those schools. Um, and Davis was the one that just really felt like home to me. I, I showed up, and I went through the tours and met people, and it, it just matched my personality. It matched my style. I felt like I would be comfortable there and that really guided my decision. Mm -hmm. Was it the right choice for you? You know, I think it was. There, there was a part of me that questioned if Berkeley was the better choice because on, on paper, you would say that's the better school um, academically. But I think going to Davis and pursuing the school that, that felt right that felt comfortable actually gave me a lot of confidence as a young mm -hmm. adult um, that allowed me to really jump off from there. Yeah. And so studying math, what was your goal as far as like what you wanted to be? I mean, we've talked about this a little bit, like there is no linear path necessarily, but um, I guess there's a guidance counselor saying, hey, these are some of the paths you can take. What were you thinking you wanted to pursue? Yeah. So my first uh, couple of years in college, I wanted to be a cryptologist. So I loved numbers. I loved puzzles. I was I was looking at like graph theory and combinatorics and all of this very theoretical math work. Um, and so my uh, original aspiration was to join the NSA and be a cryptologist. Wow! So I I applied to a uh, internship at the NSA and got rejected. Um, and that was a, a moment where I said, okay, well that's not going to work. Um, let me. Uh, let me pursue something else this summer. And I got involved in some undergraduate research and that's what took me down a, a different path. And what was the path? So my uh, undergraduate research advisor, um, it was still very theoretical mathematics that he helped me uh, uh, work on and, and that I studied with him. But he was one of the first kind of teachers and mentors for me in academics who 
really challenged me that I was capable of more. Um, and he helped me find the field of operations research, which is what my, my PhD thesis is in. And I remember when he uh, pointed it out to me, the tagline I saw was the science of better, that that's what operations research was all about. And it was this idea of uh, using mathematics to uh, impact the world and to have positive change. And that really resonated with me. And that's when I started to pursue that field. And did you go straight on or did you like, tell me about this order here. So you graduated from college and then what? And, and then I went straight on to, uh, to grad school. So I went to MIT um, for grad school and that's where I got my PhD in operations research, but I didn't take a, a break in between. No break in between. And tell me about if you're like talking now to your younger self or to somebody who's in high school or college, would you give them the advice that that was the right move? You know, for me at the time, I, I believe it was because it was, it was 2009. Um, and oh yeah, uh, well, that says a lot right there. That alone right, says like, it. Yes. Yeah. It was, it was hard to, to get a job at the time. So I think it was the right move for me. I think it's, it's very person dependent. I think for some people going out and working for a couple of years is a better choice. Um, but I don't think there was, there was anything wrong with going straight out of undergrad to, to grad school. Mm-hmm. And so you went on to grad school and you're thinking then now things start to pivot. And I guess, what were you thinking of pursuing at this point? I mean, you've got your PhD, you wrote your dissertation on what exactly? Yeah, so I, um, so I showed up at MIT and I started by continuing to study fairly like theoretical work. So the problem I was working on is actually called the probabilistic traveling salesman problem. Um, and we, we would argue why it had real world applications and, and maybe it does a little bit, but um, I was working on uh, building an algorithm that would allow us to prove that we could solve this problem just like a tiny bit better. Um, and I remember one night in my, I forget if it was my first or second year, but I was, it was probably 2 a.m. I'm in the dorm common room, just trying to figure out how to solve this problem and come up with something to show my advisors the next day. And I just thought, like, I, I don't know that I care enough about this problem. Even if I stayed up all night, every night, all week, I don't feel like this is going to have the impact I'm looking for. Mm. Um, and so I went to my advisors and, and said, I, I think I want to do something else. And that's when I pivoted to focus a bit more on healthcare applications. Interesting. It looks as if you're going like academia in the very beginning as I'm researching. And yes. then you kind of go on and you've got this, you know, academic experience through MIT and you're now you're a lecturer. You've done some, um, some teaching at MIT, some teaching at Stanford. You've even written a book. And then you've done some consulting going on to, to some work experience and data science how does all this happen? Are you making decisions along the way? Are you making relationships? And then those people plant these ideas. Um, are you are you having experiences where you don't like what you're doing? Um, I always love just learning how people make decisions. Yeah, definitely. So I I realized that I wanted to go into industry instead of just stay in academia because I thought. A, I, I wanted the direct impact of being in industry, but I was also just more excited and passionate about that. But at the same time, being a teaching assistant as a grad student made me realize how much I really loved the teaching side of academia. Mm. 
Um, and so that's where I was, I was torn because I wanted to do that, um, do the teaching side, uh, not necessarily the academic research side, but also go out into industry. And everyone kept saying to me, I, I had to choose the two. Um, and I'm a, a silently stubborn person, I would say. And so my reaction was, I think I'm just going to do both. Um, and so that's where I said, you know, I'm going to start working in the startup space and go out into industry, but startups have enough flexibility um, that I could also kind of lecture on the side. Yeah. And is that this dynamic ideas health? Yeah. Dynamic ideas health was actually the first startup I co-founded with my PhD advisor um, rooted in my PhD thesis. And what, what was that company and um, how far did you take it? Yeah, so my, my PhD thesis was about building a system for individuals with diabetes where you could improve your um, meal plans and exercise plans to actually better control your diabetes and either scale back on medication, avoid medication, or just frankly be healthier. And so we use data from blood glucose monitors. We tried to learn somebody's preferences for foods and when they eat and how they eat to come up with this like optimal meal and exercise plan. And so that uh, product is what we tried to commercialize through Dynamic Ideas Health. And were you able to do it? You know, we, uh, I ended up leaving Dynamic Ideas Health before um, we got to that point. Um, the, so my PhD advisor continued our work there, but spun off a bit more into a healthcare analytics consulting uh, viewpoint. And so the company in a lot of ways still exists within, um, within his space, um, but we never actually commercialized the, the diabetic product. Oh, interesting. But what a cool experience to be able to, so now you've got like both experiences. Now you're, you're teaching. I mean, your stubbornness like helped. <laughs> yes, exactly. And what took you, so from there, then you ended up going out to the Bay Area. Is that, is that the order of things? Yeah. So I, while I was still in Boston, I ended up finding Qantas um, they were located right across the street from uh, the Sloan School at MIT. And one of the co-founders there had reached out to me to see if I was interested in joining their team. Um, and I was already doing these two other things. And so I started working at Qantas about 10 hours a week, uh, just being a, a data science consultant for them. Uh, and so I had started working at Qantas and then I decided I wanted to move back to the Bay Area, to California. Um, and Qantas was actually also opening an office in the Bay Area. And so it was a nice opportunity for me to lean a, a bit more into my work at Qantas. And then I also uh, took a role at Stanford. And what did Qantas do? And then also two questions. What was, what was Qantas's business? And then also, what, what is a data scientist? Um, as a recruiter, we get roles in all the time to fill data science roles. So I feel like I have my sense of it, but it's helpful for me, for our listeners Maybe there's someone in high school or college listening who's considering this path. Um, maybe you can explain what that role is. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, uh, so I'll actually start with that one. In my mind, a data scientist is someone who uses data, uses mathematical techniques to impact a business or impact society. And so it's this idea of using 
um, using mathematics, using technology um, to uh, actually make better decisions. Um, that is what a data scientist is in my view. And what does a data scientist do though? So that's what a data scientist is. But so you come into the office, you sit down at the computer and yep. somebody's watching you fly on the wall. What is it that they're watching you do? Yeah, so I would say, uh, one, they're watching you observe different pieces of the business and um, how your business works and operates to identify areas for opportunity, for optimization, for improvement, um, or you're handed one of those by somebody else. You then grab data from your company's data lake, or um, I've done some web scraping before in my life, but you collect data to try to uh, solve that problem or data that's related to that particular business problem. Um, and then you build a, a model generally, whether it's a, a machine learning model to predict something, um, it's a clustering model to find trends and, and relationships. Um, and then you basically launch that model um, into production, or you work with some engineers to make that happen and, and use that model to actually make smarter decisions within the company. And, and what kind of training does somebody need to become a data scientist? So most data scientists, so when I was in school, um, data science was not a major. Um, that was not a, a general label at the time. Um, now in a lot of places it is. You can, you can truly just study data science. Um, but a lot of data scientists in undergrad study um, operations research, uh, which is what my PhD was in, uh, computer science, mathematics, um, the, there's a lot of uh, management science it's sometimes called at some places. So there's a lot of different fields that relate to, to data science. Um, and then either straight out of that, you start to pick up um, more and more techniques that are maybe on the margins of your exact field of study, but related. Um, or you go on to a master's program in business analytics or, or data science from there. Um, but uh, one of the things I actually love about data science is that people come from a lot of different backgrounds, um, and that makes the field and the groups you work with very diverse. Interesting. And so I want to get back to Qantas, but as long as we're talking data science, like what are the trends that you're seeing uh, as far as the future of data science? And then also, I know like in my intro, I was reading about um, kind of your passion. And I know that you're really interested in talking about and thinking about ways that people can use data science in general um, to kind of improve overall life and kind of how you've used it at Assurance, which we're going to get into. But um, what's the future of data science and, and why is it important for people? Yeah, I, I think the, the future of data science has, has two main themes. One is just better and smarter algorithms. And, it, you know, there's, there's more and more data constantly being accumulated in the world. And uh, as we have more data, the algorithms we have can get smarter. Uh, the techniques that have been developed continue to, to get better. So there's just technological advancement that is in front of us. The other side, which is uh, where I get really excited and tend to operate more, is the intersection of, of data science and business. Um, and so I think today, we often struggle from a problem where we have business folks who don't understand data 
and data scientists who aren't in touch enough with the business and, and the true problems the business faces. And I think as we move forward, if we can find more people who sit at that intersection, um, who are both passionate about business and understand business, um, but also uh, speak data and understand the techniques that can be used to improve the business, um, that's a really exciting future opportunity in my mind. Yeah. And is this, this may be like way off topic, but I, I think about it as it relates to what I do, because I've been doing it for 29 years, like pre-internet. <laughs> and now there's like, you know, so much technology being put towards recruiting. And we are now able to look at the data and look at where there's like a cog in the wheel around, you know, things like submittals to interviews, interviews to offers, offers to acceptances, and try to understand mm -hmm. where there's, as far as data that we can just pull out um, or pull out data around where we're finding talent. I mean, this might yes. be a simplified version of data, but like from where I sit, this is how we're using data. Um, where is there an intersection between data and like the human part of how to use data to tell a story and also where people have fear around data replacing um, the human side of business? Yeah, definitely. So um, a lot of really useful data science in business uh, only happens because you have a human who's thinking creatively about the problem. So, you know, what exactly are you trying to predict? What variables should you use? Uh, which algorithms are the most useful? Uh, even uh, the whole field of ethical AI and data science that has come about in making sure that you're not building a model that is ethically incorrect in some way. I mean, I think mm. recruiting is actually a great example, right? Like, how do you make sure if say we built a model to predict who would be successful in what job, how are we not biasing opportunities based on who has had success in the past? Very um, good point. Absolutely. Absolutely. That makes sense. So tell me about Qantas. It sounds like a super cool company. Yeah. It, uh, so Qantas was a, a, an amazing opportunity for me. Uh, so uh, what, what did Qantas do? They were building a wearable device for continuous blood pressure monitoring. So, um, you know, today a lot of us wear Apple watches and they tell us our heart rate. And so most of them, you know, show your heart rate, activity detection, those kinds of things. We were building a wearable device that would do all of that, but also uh, with continuous blood pressure monitoring. Yeah, and what happened there and, um... I guess probably a little bit different to do data science for like a wearable device versus, you know, insurance. Yeah. It, um, so when I was hired, I was focusing a bit more on the activity detection side. Um, so we had a team of engineers focusing on signal processing who were working on the core blood pressure algorithm. And I was working on some of the like add-ons as I would call them, like activity mm. detection. Um, the uh, challenge that Qantas faced was they came into the market when wearables were like the next big thing, right? The, you know, Apple Watch didn't exist yet. Fitbit did, but not quite as advanced as it is today. Um, and, uh, and they were both trying to build a device, so building hardware, but then also working on these software algorithms to, to run on the device. So they were trying to do a lot, right? At the moment when uh, this industry was taking off. 
Um, and about uh, two years after I started working with Qantas, um, that's when we realized that the algorithm wasn't quite where we needed it to be to go ahead and launch this thing. And in the meantime, now we have an Apple Watch. Now we have all of these other devices out there in the market. Mm. Um, and so we had to pull back and say, how do we approach this problem differently? And that's where I came in and said, I think data science and machine learning um, could be helpful on the blood pressure side. Yeah, it almost seems like it could have been a good um acquire like acquisition target for one of these other huge companies because it's like how do you compete at that level once these other companies start to to go in that direction it's like timing is everything yeah absolutely um and and that was something that did almost happen for us at Qantas um but uh the you know general conclusion for for the small team at the time um was that you know we were better off saving that IP within uh one of the venture capital firms who was still mm-hmm. trying to pursue um this problem of a true blood pressure wearable which frankly still hasn't really been solved yeah. And I mean, can you imagine that? Like how helpful that would be? Yeah. I mean, incredible. Um, yeah. I mean, people are constantly trying to have a sense of that. And I have seen the things that go on the back of the phone where you can kind of like touch it, but that's so clunky exactly. um, and, exactly. and cumbersome. And so you did some work I know with Sequoia and then what was the, what was that experience like? And did you ever consider, I mean, I know that a a path for some people, and it could have been a, an amazing path, especially with all of your passions, um, was to be kind of a, a professor slash advisor slash consultant as your kind of everything versus an operator. Yeah, so I, uh, when I stopped working at Qantas, when we wrapped up Qantas and shut it down, um, I started, uh, that's when I started working for assurance. Um, Again, I started as a 10 hours a week consultant. Um, I started working for Sequoia. Um, and then I was still teaching at Stanford. So I always joked that I, I treated my career like a, a portfolio of options yeah. um, where I was still, you know, say, I really like this teaching thing. Startups are fascinating um, and consulting is super interesting because I learned so much from it. So I was continuing to dabble in, in all three of those things. Right. Just, I mean, it's smart because you can keep your options open and see if something's compelling enough. I mean, as you know, we've done some work with assurance and that story is just, the assurance story is just incredible. Um, started in 2016. I know you came on in 2017. Um, can you tell our listeners who don't know assurance, like what the business idea is and how assurance competes in the market? Yeah, definitely. So I describe our assurance mission with three words, help, improve, and protect. And that's really about our our mission, our desire to help our customers, uh, mostly mass market customers, uh, improve and protect their, their lives through buying insurance and financial products. So we are a a technology platform, a digital platform um, that also uses a agent workforce of licensed insurance agents um, to enable uh, our our customers to buy these products. Um, And it's it's very data-driven in a lot of ways, but the core piece is through uh, personalized recommendations for the the consumer. And so who are your, your customers would be then the insurance 
companies or like, tell me what's the business model? Yeah, so our customers are the individual buying insurance. So we're we are direct to consumer, but we partner with carriers, um, with with others in our space, frankly, um, to enable that. So we're we're kind of a broker for insurance, but but a digital broker um, where we have a, a bunch of carriers on our platform, and we help uh, the consumer shop those different options to find the the best one for their personal needs. And how is that different than than others? How why is that a competitive advantage? Like what's different about assurance? Yeah, so we are um, much more data driven, I would say, and technology driven. Um, we also are hyper focused on the personalization piece. So mm-hmm. how do we learn everything we can about the consumer so that we can actually help them find an option that is not just a good option because it's cheaper or because it's with a great company, but it actually is a good option for what they need personally um, and what matters to them. So that's really our uh, differentiator, the thing that uh, makes us special. Yeah. And so you come on there, you're 10 hours a week, you're kind of dabbling, you're doing some teaching, you're doing some consulting, some advisory work, come on doing data science. I mean, obviously a huge leap from doing that to, um, you know, it's like going from a player to a coach. How did you make that decision? I mean, some would say, obviously from the outside, just like you're talking about um, Davis versus Berkeley, like one's, one's a bigger job, but sometimes it doesn't mean that it's the better job right? Like being in the mix, doing the thing that you love, being a data scientist, totally different than being a CEO. Um, and being a CEO is not for everybody. Yeah, was, for was this the right move? And what has been the best part of the move? And what's been the biggest challenge of the move? Yeah, so I, I have always um, had this passion for data science applied to business problems. Um, and I, you know, both at Qantas and then at Assurance, I found myself starting as the data scientist, but moving more into the business side of things. And it, it's really because I, I want to be involved in the business decisions. I want to bring data to those business decisions um, and, and combine the two. But that's really what what I love doing. Um, and so to me, I, I really enjoy the, the CEO role in that I get to connect all of the different pieces together and really optimize those business decisions. But I also enjoy bringing data science techniques into it in a lot of ways through uh, data-driven decisions and uh, visualizations and real-time tracking. So I, I love that I get to kind of marry the two in, in the role. I yeah. Think. Well, it gives you such an advantage having that background, right? Because you know what you're looking for and you know what you're asking. And then if you have the innate, um, I guess, leadership skills, like how would you describe your leadership style? And um, I know that I've heard about you because we've done work together that you are an incredibly empathic leader and that you've got a very inclusive leadership style, but how would you describe it and how have you heard others describe it? Yeah, I, I, I do try to be a very inclusive leader. I, uh, one of our uh, values that we talk about at Assurance is humble collaboration. 
And uh, that is the way in which I love to work is asking everybody to uh, truly leave your ego at the door um, and show up in an effort to collaborate with others to reach the best solution. And the, the data-driven aspect I think is really helpful in that way because when you're debating about something and you can be grounded in data and bring data into the conversation, it becomes a little less about your opinion versus mine or your experience versus mine. Um, and I think that allows people to truly humble collaborate and, and reach the best solution for the business. Yeah, absolutely. And, and how has it been, um, you know, obviously you've had to lead through a pandemic, you've led through an acquisition, you were acquired by Prudential. Um, and I guess that was late 2019, right? That's right. And how have those transitions impacted the business and your ability to, to lead with your own twist and your own style? Yeah, so I I think I was fortunate in a lot of ways being a remote employee when the pandemic hit. So I joined Assurance as a remote employee, and, and I was still a remote employee in, in March of 2020. Um, and our data science team was also fairly remote. And so we had already navigated that hybrid environment. Um, I was traveling to the assurance office quite frequently every two to three weeks. Um, so that part was obviously different than was what most people are doing today. Um, but I think that helped a lot in us saying, hey, we're already a hybrid organization. So, you know, this is going to be a little bit different, obviously, but, you know, we can navigate that that fairly well. And how do you um, keep a cohesive culture um, being kind of hybrid? That's, it's, it's a constant question on phone calls that I have with clients, um, bringing together leaders and having them ask each other. But then on the, on the podcast, people want to talk about it and learn from each other. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we obviously use the the same tools most people do, Zoom and Slack, to, to try to enable that. One of the things we've done recently that we've had a lot of success with is what we've coined Seattle Week. So while we have about 600 employees outside of our agent workforce, only about 150 of those are Seattle-based. Um, but one week a month, we, uh, we call that week Seattle Week. And all of our local employees, we encourage to come into the office. And then people who are remote, um, if they're going to travel, we ask them to come during that particular week each month. And it creates an office environment that's a lot more like what, you know, what we used to have. And during that one week, we're intentional about brainstorming sessions and bringing people together, doing a little less Zoom and a little more in person. And then the other three weeks of the month, we you know, operate in the more remote hybrid way, um, but it enables us to get enough of that in-person collaboration without asking people to go back to how things used to be. Mm -hmm. And are you guys experiencing at all this, like the whole like great resignation and people kind of looking into... You know, reading all the press around um, just like the economy and what this looks like and how do you keep your employees engaged and beyond the Seattle week, um, you know, just how to, how to keep them drawn in. And then, and then on top of it, I know that you're recruiting for some roles, how to, how to pull in new talent and make sure that they're aligned with your values and, and adding to your culture. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, we we're in a pretty unique position in that we um, we were acquired by a, a big company, a big corporation as a pretty young startup. So we were a three-year-old startup when we were acquired. Sitting here today, we're still only about a six-year-old company. Um, and so we still have a startup culture in a lot of ways, um, but we don't really have the startup risk anymore because we're part of Prudential. And so it's this uh, really interesting blend of the stability of a big corporation with the culture of a startup. And I think that's attractive to a lot of people. So we've been able to attract some, some great talent uh, because we are in this unique space. Yeah, that makes sense. And what is your interview um, process like as far as have you have you nailed that down um, as far as um, how to sell the company? And if so, um, what are some of the selling points about kind of a day in the life, what it's like to work there? And what are the long-term plans as far as the vision if somebody's listening and they may potentially be looking for a job? Yeah, so uh, my number one selling point to people is uh, if you come to Assurance, you'll have the opportunity to build things from the ground up. Um, while we have built so much, um, there is so much opportunity still in front of us. And so if you are somebody who likes to, to build things, to create something out of nothing, to fundamentally change and uh, reconfigure a, a process or a, a piece of the business. Um, assurance is the the place for you. And and hey, you can come do it with a, with a little less risk because uh, we have the backing of Prudential. Yeah, oh, for sure. And as far as um, you know, where we sit today, what are you thinking about going into twenty twenty three? As far as um, challenges and opportunities, and what kind of keeps you up at night as CEO. Yeah, I, you know, people is definitely one of them. I, um, I care deeply about our employees and making sure that they're set up for success and we are giving people the right opportunities at the right time. Um, and so that's something I'm, I'm constantly thinking about is how, how do we make sure we're doing that really well? Um, you know, the other piece is in the, in the business we're in, while some of our businesses are, uh, more immune to a recession, like our, our Medicare business, um, where it's, it's health insurance and, and recession or not, it's something that you'll try to navigate and, and look to buy. Other areas of our business, such as life insurance, um, a, a recession environment is a bit more challenging. Um, for some people, they view it as a, as a discretionary buy. Of course, um, like it's just a nice to have, and I'll get that if I feel a little like frothy. Exactly. Um, and so that's something that we're going to have to continue to keep an eye on and navigate to make sure that um, we're recognizing that in our consumer base that, hey, maybe now just isn't the time to buy this product and let's talk later. Um, but also making sure consumers understand the benefit of the product, even in the environment we sit in. Yeah. Well, speaking of um, life insurance, not to be like, want want Debbie Downer, I, I see you. And from where I sit, I'm like, wow, this is like, total badass, young, hungry. And I'm thinking, okay, where is this person going to be later in life? Like you, you meet these people who are like, oh, I'm just trying to like hit it so I can retire and like sit on the beach. I kind of see you as this person who's like, I don't even know where, where that, what that looks like, you know, later in life. Like, what do you see for yourself um, as far as like 
I don't even know if it's 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, like what are your big picture goals for your life? Yeah, you know, one is definitely continuing to uh, have an impact on the way in which we we run businesses. So I uh, believe pretty strongly that a a data-driven approach, a collaborative approach, an inclusive approach um, is the future and is uh, a, a strong way to lead. And so I want to, you know, continue to push that forward. I also, um, I'm really passionate about teaching. I, I loved being a lecturer. Uh, and so at some point in my life, I'm sure I will find myself going back to that. Yeah. Well, now you're here. You could do your dub. Exactly. If, if they'll would, have me. They would definitely have you. Are you kidding? Um, absolutely. And um, so in your abundant spare time, I guess there's not much of it these days, but how do you practice self-care and sometimes it can be a little lonely at the top like how do you keep your mental health strong um and just keep your your whole self kind of um healthy so that you can lead your team yeah i um i love being outside so whether it's hiking or going out on the water um you know something that gets me just outside either, you know, in a moment to reflect or with friends and family, we have two dogs that will, uh, will take hiking a lot. Oh, cool. um, what, what kind of dogs do you have? One is a, a Vishla. Um, he's a like Hungarian pointer. And then the other one was a rescue. I think she's a mix between a Jack Russell and a Chihuahua. Oh, wow. So the that one's like dragging on the hike or leading the hike. Like I'm trying to picture the Jack Russell with the like which one's leading you <laughs> yeah well they are best friends um, oh. and uh, the Jack Russell keeps up if we if we go six or seven miles she starts to look at us like are we done yet um, but but she does a good job yeah well you're in the perfect perfect city I love that you love to hike and so as far as like apps or hacks that you can share with me as another business leader always trying to stay organized are there apps or systems or things that you do um, ritualistically to set yourself up for a good day or a good week? You know, I I found this uh, journal called the Productivity Planner um, a, a couple years ago, and I think it's maybe a less less useful in my current role, but I will advise all of my employees to look into it because it's just a great tool that combines the Pomodoro technique with list building and focus. It has some inspirational quotes in it. Um, it's just a, a really fun journal. Um, but I also uh, will admit that I'm a sucker for post-it notes. So I will put all my to-dos on post-it notes and uh, use that old school technique as well. Oh, a lot of people love a good post-it note. So the productivity planner, is this like an Amazon purchase? Of course, I'm going to now buy it. It's going to be like another thing, but <laughs> it is, it is. Okay. Maybe I'll tell my variations. team. Well, send me a link to the one that you like. I will. I, I, I want to look into it because I'll do whatever you tell me. Cause I, now I, now you're another person I get to look up to and admire. Oh, thank you. I'm like, I'll do what Allison says to do. Okay. So my final question is what fuels you? So I would say um, optimization fuels me. So whether it's business optimization, uh, so taking what we have and just making it better and smarter, 
people optimization, making sure we have the right people and the right roles at the right time. Um, this idea of taking something and making it bigger and better is uh, what fuels me. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.